I don't ask anybody's question but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome on in, a fresh made for March for you here on the Underdogs Podcast Network. Tyler Aki and Tim Leonard. Check out the show on Twitter at Made the Number for March. And boy, the college basketball season is heating up, Tim. I mean, mm-hmm. we had I felt like Tuesday, I don't know about you, but Tuesday I felt like I was on overload with all the games that were on. They were good games on Tuesday, yeah. too. But let me just kind of rattle off some of the games that I was keened in on. So you had LSU Kentucky. Uh, which we will get to in a little bit. You had the Bill Self annual donation game as well, <laughs> although he the check must have bounced this year because Kansas takes care of Oklahoma State, but that was still a good game. Um, Marquette, Providence, Seton Hall, Butler, Rutgers takes down Michigan, um, Illinois thrashes Minnesota, Texas, Kansas State. Like There were a lot of blowouts, I guess, on this yeah, Marquette, day. Marquette, Providence, were... what the heck happened there? That was... Yeah, <laughs> Baylor, Oklahoma was another game uh, that was yeah. worth watching. Virginia, like there were just so many games where it's like, you know, what? I kind of want to tune into this one. And maybe the end results didn't say that, but you were at least plugged in from the start. And it's like you're managing the TV, seeing what's going where, what game do you need to flip on? I think, I mean, obviously LSU, Kentucky, I think was probably the game of the night. Um, but then you also had like Vanderbilt upsets Arkansas too. So right. there, there were things to keep your eye on pretty much the entirety of Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. We're college hoops junkies, and that's why we do this podcast. So we follow this thing religiously all throughout the year. But this is when it gets really good, right? When we get into conference play, there's multiple games on weekday nights, and it's always a top 25 showdown of some sort. So it feels like now this is when the college football fan base starts coming in. If you're listening for the mm-hmm. first time, no no discrimination against the college football yep. lovers mm-hmm. out there. but. Uh, happy new year, I guess, to everyone. Cause this is, I hope first you enjoyed podcast. your bowl season. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is when, and it, it did sting a little bit seeing Iowa state Baylor on new year's day competing. Yeah, against you want to start with games. that? Let's start, yeah, let's start with that game because this was a great game. It, this was number one versus number eight at the time. And it's shoved into the corner on ESPNU. And this is where the NCAA disconnect really frustrates me. But and I will is- say, before you get into that, at the start of the year, Iowa State Baylor was just a bad game, right? Like right. they went two and twenty-two last year. So that's the only right. reason I have less of a problem with that game, more of a problem with Villanova Seton Hall at the same time on New Year's Day. Why are we doing that? Because that yeah. was two decent teams at the start of the year. Well, he- here was my fix to it, okay? Because you knew there were going to be bowl games on, right? You- I mean, it's New Year's Day. This is the the pinnacle of it every single year. And what is one of college basketball's biggest brands? It's Big Monday, right? And you knew that this New Year's Day, it's you have a chance now to have the biggest Monday, I think. If you could just overload that Monday, because this is going to happen every once in a while, right? I think it's going to happen again next year, too, where the the college football playoff games are going to be New Year's Eve and then the the uh, New Year's Six, obviously, we'll, we'll all land on uh, New Year's Day. Why not to open up the new year, call it biggest, the biggest Monday, and just blow out everything, put your best games, or just put make sure that Monday slate is overloaded so that people can come out of college football season and just bam, you hit them with a ton of college basketball to kind of revamp the fan base. Right. 
I guess Big Monday is only ACC, Big 12, I think. Is SEC involved in that? Because I know I it's the ESPN so. no. sloganing. So I believe it's just usually you see one Big 12 game, one ACC game, uh, or even just two ACC games sometimes it feels like on the Big Monday. And that gets going in a little bit here. I, I agree. I love the Big Monday games, but there was also Monday Night Football that night too, right? So then you're it's just a give and a take. Yeah. I mean, you're – you're competing with football no matter what. Right. You're, you're always going to be competing with football these first couple of weeks. But if you have that overload, and again, I, I guess they kind of get screwed by the fact that the NFL extended to, to an extra week here too because then there wouldn't be that Monday night game because they don't yeah. have Monday night football that last week. But, yeah, I think it's one of those things where you, you got to – like you need the scheduling. Someone in the, the scheduling department needs to figure this, this mess out. And you know what, you know how in baseball, there used to be the old couple that would make the <laughs> the schedule every year. Like there was this lit. And for those of you who don't know, there was literally a couple. It was a, a husband and wife that made the MLB schedule by hand every single year. And I think yeah. they went away from it like four or five years ago. And now it's all computer automated. And that's why the MLB schedule looks weird now and then, but like, they would have the list of requests like, oh, there's going to be a concert at Wrigley Field this week, so we can't do anything there. Oh, we're going to have an event at Fenway this week, so we can't do anything on that day. And it's just like the old couple had all this stuff figured out. There's a, I think there's a 30 for 30 short on this, too. Oh, that's um, awesome. I haven't seen but that. Let's, let's hire the old couple or find the old couple of college basketball to kind of sort out this entire thing for, for these big games to make sure you're not overlapping with, with some of these other contests. Yeah. And I think if that old couple started at the beginning of the year again, they probably would have been like Baylor, Iowa State. That was a game last year. I think they did play when Baylor came off a pause and Iowa State close, actually yeah. threatened. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's Iowa State was two and twenty-two last year. They right. started the year one thirteen on Ken Palm. So you're probably thinking, yeah, we'll give Baylor a game here, but we don't want to give Baylor a game against some of the Texas or some of the Oklahomas or a good school in the Big Twelve. Let's give them Iowa State. And it just turned out that. It's two top 10 teams and two undefeated teams. I think it was the first time that late in the season that two teams were undefeated in like 30 years or something playing against each other. It's two of four undefeated teams remaining in the sport going against each other. It's on ESPNU and it's getting no one's attention because football was on, which is a bummer. Yeah. And it's just not just that, but they had the canned halftime segment too. I don't know if you saw this. It was completely recorded. Like yeah. all that, like they, there was no effort. And, and that's one of those things that you can kind of adjust on the fly. And maybe ESPN didn't have the personnel to do it because they had obligations otherwhere, whether it's producers or, or halftime hosts or whatever. But that to me, it, it felt half-assed. It, it, it's frustrating that the sport kind of is run like that. And maybe that's just the, the demon of having 350 plus teams to it, but at, at the end of the day, like there, there's 65 or so that you kind of hold in high regard that you got to make sure you're taken care of at the same time. Yeah, maybe we just need to flex these games, like Sunday night football, yeah. get to that stage. Although that would probably bring up a whole can of worms for the the dobos and the logistics people <laughs> that are uh, making the flights and travel plans way in advance for these. Yeah. So okay, let's get into the actual basketball of the game though, because this is one where Baylor was never in doubt. I think of, of winning this game. Um, I always say actually never led throughout the entirety of the 40 minutes, but they hung around enough to make it competitive, but it just kind of shows you like Baylor goes on the road, beats a, a top 10 team pretty handedly. 
I mean, how what we talked all last year, all right? The one to two gap between Gonzaga and Baylor. First mm-hmm. of all, who is your number two in the one to two gap this year? And how big is the gap? Because I feel like it, it's starting to feel like Baylor's pulling away. My two might be Gonzaga. <laughs> it's just reverse. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't want to put Purdue too. I've never really been high yeah. on them. And we'll talk about their most recent game in a little bit. Looking at Ken Palm, Kansas, a little lukewarm on them because they've just sort of run into some teams that have had shorthanded rosters. And mm-hmm. I guess you could argue, all right, if Kansas didn't get some wild buzzer beater to go against them and get that shot to fall that bounced all over the rim from Dayton, then they're 13 and zero, and they're one of four undefeated teams in the country. And the big 12 is just ruling the roost and that's one and two. So you can make an argument for Kansas, but maybe Duke deserves. In that yeah, I was going to say the, well. The conversation is Gonzaga, Kansas, Duke right now. And I'm a UNC guy, so I'm never going to say Duke there, but Duke might actually, if if I had to pick, be the number two. I think Duke or Gonzaga would be my two, but there is a gap for me. I think Baylor, the way they're playing, the way they're just rolling through, and no matter who the opponent is, they're making them look pretty bad, and they're getting them into the Baylor style of game. Like watching them pretty close in Oklahoma, they didn't blow them out. It wasn't the most impressive Mm -hmm. win ever, but – like this Iowa State game, and like you said, the game just never really felt in doubt. They played it at their tempo. They dictated the pace. They're balanced. They're doing what they want to do on offense and defense, and then you look up at the end of the game, and they win by 8 or 10, and that's just Baylor basketball right now. Yeah, and then Baylor goes out, takes care of Oklahoma, and is now 2-0 and in the Big 12 right now, and you really you look the rest of the way – it's kind of a, a soft schedule pretty much until the, the Big 12 SEC crossover when, I mean, this is going to be a great game, Baylor and Alabama, but it just doesn't that sort of feel teed up? Like we talk right now, it sounds like a great game, but it almost feels like it's going to be teed up to be one of those games that's sort of a letdown and Baylor just kind of goes out there and wins by 20, kind of like what they did against teams like Michigan State and Villanova so far this season. Yeah, that's the only downside to Baylor being really good is that Villanova game back on December 12th was a terrible basketball game to watch as just a general consumer because Villanova scored 36 points. But it is impressive, and when you really dig into how they're doing it and how they're switching on defense and they're getting guys like James Akinjo, who's always been a decent athlete and a decent defender to buy into the system. And, I mean, they've incorporated some new pieces, and – You know, we always use that as an excuse. Like with Texas and Chris Beard, we say, oh, but it's a lot of new pieces and Chris Beard has to incorporate his system on these guys. It's going to take some time. Baylor just gets these guys to buy in right away. No matter where they come from, no matter how good of a defender they are, it's just they're playing together better than any other team in the country year in and year out, it seems like. Yeah. All right, let's move on. This maybe isn't the biggest upset of the week, but it's certainly the one that's most significant right now, and that is Wisconsin taking down Purdue. 74-69. The Badgers I, – I shouldn't even say the Badgers won this one. Jo- Johnny Davis won this one. All right, he, yeah, scored, he scored half their points, 37 points in this one to go along with 14 rebounds, three assists, a couple blocks, a couple steals. He's lights out. I mean – the crazy thing about college basketball, too, is when you see a stat line like 37 points, right, usually has to be a shooter in terms of like a, a three-point marksman has to go out there and get all those buckets. He made two threes in this game. 
too. <laughs> yeah. So it's the way that he beats you in all of these different areas. And when you go out there, drop 37 on a Purdue team that really needs to start to find their defensive identity at this point. Like Johnny Davis, we, we talked about the player of the year race a week ago, maybe two weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like he's the one who's sort of taken that top spot because let's be honest, this isn't an isolated incident either. I mean, he, he's gone out and had some games so far this season. He had this 37. He had another 30 spot against Houston, and that win over a full-strength Houston team, might we add. Like, yeah. the Houston that we know is a good Houston team, a Final Four caliber Houston team. And it, it's just weird. Like, you haven't seen this sort of play at Wisconsin. Like, sure, you've seen Frank Kaminsky and, and Ethan Happ get 25, 30 points in a game, but – you haven't seen him do it the way that Johnny Davis has done it. Yeah, also worth noting that their loss to Providence early in the year came without Johnny Davis. I right. saw Jeff Goodman tweeted this, but without Johnny Davis, this is maybe an NIT team. I don't know if it's yep. an NCAA tournament team. They're playing like a top 20 team in the country. They've got a great resume, and it's largely because of him. So I do think if I had to vote right now, and if I had a vote, I would put Johnny Davis as the National Player of the Year, which is amazing because – who saw this coming? I mean, he wasn't even – I was looking through the Athlon Sports Magazine the other day of the top 100 players in the preseason. No sign of Johnny Davis. And it would have yeah. been weird and highly criticized that they put him in because he was a guy that wasn't like a four- or five-star recruit. I think his 24-7 sports ranking was somewhere in the 160s. He had a decent first year at Wisconsin. I don't have the stats in front of me, but it was like eight points and – you know, he was maybe a sophomore candidate to bust out and get into double figures, but to be the national player of the year, to have 37 points, 14 rebounds on the road at Mackey Arena against a top five team and carry them yeah. to a victory, this is absurd to see. And that's what makes college basketball so cool. And the Big Ten might not be as good as last year, but man, some of these national player of the year candidates are all Big Ten guys. EJ Liddell, Kofi Coburn, like the tippy mm -hmm. top is really strong in that league. There's a lot of stars. Yeah, and, and the crazy thing, too, is it's a lot of ISO ball with Johnny Davis. So Wisconsin is going to have their nights where maybe a team has a lockdown defender and can shut down or at least mitigate the threat at a minimum of Johnny Davis. Like, in, in this game, 13 assists on 27 made baskets. Not a great uh, percentage there, assist percentage. And Wisconsin, I think, as a team, is outside, like, the top 300 in uh, assists-to-field goal ratio um, but you look at it like if you were told me that someone that a team beats Purdue, okay, especially on the road, I would have said it had to be a total team effort, right? Like you'd have mm -hmm. to have five starters that played really well. And then a couple key bench guys that came in and gave you some really strong minutes in this game. You had 37 from Johnny Davis, 15 from Brad Davison. Everyone else was six or less points. And then you get to the rebounds. You had 14 from Johnny Davis. No one else had more than four. Like, he's doing everything for this team. Rebounding. He got 14 rebounds. He's six foot five. Yeah. <laughs> he got seven footers on the team. Two of them. And right. they, can't, they can't combine to get the number of rebounds. So, it's the heart of Johnny Davis. And that's what you love to see right now, especially from this Wisconsin team that a lot of people were maybe a little bit down on. Like, who's going to carry the torch for them? Johnny Davis is carrying a torch as well as anyone right now in the entire sport. Yeah, I did not think he'd be the National Player of the Year in early January and apologize to him for leaving him off my 
pre-conference All-American team from our last episode. He was definitely borderline, and we should have mentioned him. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I didn't see 37 and 14 coming at Mackey Arena. And from the Purdue perspective here, their Ken Palm defense is 69. That's nice, but also not so nice. The offense is number one. It's it's sort of whiffs of the Iowa team from last year. Yeah. I'm concerned about them. I don't know about you, and I've sort of been concerned all along from a national title perspective. Like they're a really good basketball yeah. team. Don't get, get me wrong. The really fun to watch. Going to be a top. Yeah. They're going to be a two seater better. Like you're not worried from that standpoint. But yeah, I think three seater better. I would confidently say, but I don't really see them being a one seed right now. No, uh, and I'm I'm with you right there. They they do have to figure some things out defensively right now. And yeah, like you brought up, they're, they're hovering around 70 right now. It is very Iowa-esque from a season ago. But I guess the one saving grace is that last year we did see Iowa get better defensively. Mm-hmm. And I think there's hope that this team can get better because they do have some good perimeter defenders. Like I think Jaden Ivey, when, when he's totally locked in, is one of the best perimeter defenders in the entire country. And then, okay, let, let's forget that. I mean, you've got a guy who's seven foot four on your back line, and, and you've got two real shot blockers, really, when you include Travion Williams and, and Zach Eady. So this should get better. I think that if you had to ask me, okay, who is going to improve defensively just based off of personnel of who each of these teams had from – these last two seasons, Iowa last year or Purdue, who's going to improve more significantly defensively. I'd feel better about Purdue, but they have to go out and show it. Yeah. I think they're a top 12, top 10 team. They're not a top five team right now with the defense. They have the other thing is this is the second game they've lost where they've been a double digit favorite. That's pretty weak. And it says something that you're able to be a double digit favorite, but you lost to Rutgers You lose this game. You also almost lost to NC State as a double-digit favorite right after Mm -hmm. the Rutgers loss. And that's really where my red flags came up because I felt like if there was ever a time to blow out a bad NC State team, that was it, where you're charged up after a loss. You play the whole schedule game with them. I'm not saying that they're not a good basketball team, but North Carolina, Villanova, Florida State were those three big wins at the start of the year that really got us excited about them. And they beat UNC at a neutral site. They beat Villanova at a neutral site. And they crushed Florida State. But Florida State was undermanned, one, in that game. And two, Florida State's getting crushed by Wake Forest and other teams out there. I think those Mm -hmm. three schools are brand-name programs. But we've sort of found out that they're maybe not quite as good as we initially thought, at least at that stage of the season. Yeah, I think the of the three wins, Villanova is the one that holds the most credence. Because I think Villanova is still a good team. Uh, but UNC struggles. Uh, they just lost to Notre Dame last night. And then you brought up, I mean, Florida State isn't nearly the team that that we thought that they could be right. heading into the season. I, I will say this. Looking at these next three games, sort of a get-right situation. You've got Penn State. Then you've got a whatever you want to call Michigan. Insert How negative adjective here. In Ken Palm? Come on, computers. That's I mean, they're I mean, playing like the 100th best Put it in rice. Like, seriously, yeah. <laughs> that, that's where we're at with Ken Palm right now. Between Michigan's rank, like, how can you say right now, computer or not computer, right? How can you say right now that Michigan is a significantly better team than Iowa State? Oh, my God. That's, yeah, and I get it. It's preseason <laughs> bias, but, yeah. But at some point, like, the bias has to go, right? Like, I mean, 20, where, where did Michigan start in Ken Palm? They started two. Yeah, that's why. Season. Right. 
And to see them only at 27 right now with a team that's hovering around 500 and three of their last four games are Rutgers crushed them the other night. I know they only won by a couple, but yeah. they led throughout that game. And that they was got the crushed, first by time, I yeah. crushed by UCF. Yeah. Crushed by UCF and crushed by Minnesota too. And oh. that Minnesota game was at home. Your only victory last four is against Southern Utah. So claps to that. Um, yeah. And then they, there was, I think there was a little COVID pause sandwich in there as well. Um, but yeah, right now, Purdue has Penn State, Michigan, then Nebraska. So those are three sort of figure your shit out games. And then you've got Illinois on the road. That's and this is an Illinois. Curbelo should be back. Hopefully he's not just back physically, but back mentally too. Because remember, <laughs> I think I think there was a, a little bit of a, a Curbelo Ewing theory going on with right. uh, with the, the Illinois fans because he cost them that game against Marquette early in the season. And he just, he just hadn't looked like himself this year. He's turned the ball over, trying to do a little bit too much uh, of the hero ball stuff when, I mean, the, the Iota Curbelo drop-off right now has been unexpectedly steep. Yeah. I do think Illinois, I was selling their stock at the beginning of the year. I'd probably buy it right now. I don't think yeah. anyone's really talking about them, but they're starting to play some good basketball. Kofi is also Kofi's... quietly... Why, yeah. How is this possible? Because Kofi's such a big guy and such a big brand in the sport, but he's, I believe, second in the country in rebounding, third in scoring, and we didn't yeah. really talk about him a ton. I, we did talk about it when we did our pre-conference All-American teams, and he did miss some games, so I think we mentioned how yeah. that docks him a little bit, but he is playing as good as anyone in the country right now. Like He has to be a first-team All-American if you're giving me mm -hmm. those two stats, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no way you can't. So right now, I mean – you think about it from, from Kofi's standpoint, if he plays that Marquette game, I think they demolish Marquette. I really like, I think usually I say one player can't make the difference between in like a, a big margin victory. This wasn't a big margin victory. This was a one point game that Illinois controlled most of the way. So I think having Kofi Coburn out there would have done wonders um, for, for Illinois and certainly would have gotten them the victory over Marquette. Um, but having him as the star, I think that's one of the things, too, that you've sort of realized with Curbelo's absence is you need to have Kofi be the star on this team. You need him to be that star because some people heading into this year were kind of like, oh, like maybe this could be Curbelo's team. But now that I think that narrative is completely dead. And I'm right really excited so. for that game. Monday, January 17th, uh, noon tip for that one because it's MLK Day. MLK Day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a big test for Purdue. If they win that game on the road, then I'll start giving them a little bit more respect and a little bit more props. I do think they're a really good team. I just think if I'm making a wooden tier like we like to do, national title contenders, they're probably just off it right now. By the way, since Andre Curbelo went out, Illinois is 8-1. Oh, no. The lone loss is to Arizona, mm -hmm. and it was a four-point loss. And you've got victories over Notre Dame, Kansas State, Rutgers, Iowa, Minnesota. While those may not sound flashy, that's five teams in the top 100 of Ken Palm, three of which yeah. are in the conference. So that, <laughs> that's good stuff there. That's the good stuff. And, and having Kofi back, I think, has been a significant, significant leap. Not that that should come as any sort of surprise. But, okay, so that kind of rounds out our, our Purdue thoughts there. The one other game that I wanted to talk about was LSU and Kentucky. This was the best game of the night. And what was that, that, that Tuesday night? Yep. But mm -hmm. LSU goes out. 
gets the narrow victory. Kentucky kind of draws the short end of the stick. I really wish we could have seen a full uh, severe Wheeler game in this one, mm-hmm. um, but he gets injured. Uh, I believe it was coming off of a screen, if I'm remembering correctly, and only ends up playing four minutes in this game. Kentucky's playing some pretty good basketball right now and probably wins this game with severe Wheeler in because of the tone that they had coming out of the second half and severe Wheeler is a big part, but what did we talk about last year with Kentucky? They didn't really have a point guard and severe Wheeler has kind of brought that stability to the point guard position. He's one of the players that I really enjoy watching. I would say maybe the most critical glue guy in the sec when I'm just doing my, my quick little think through right there, but he's not the star of the team by any stretch that that certainly goes to Oscar Shibway and, and you, you see some pop-up, contributions from other guys like Ty Ty Washington, Kellen Grady, uh, Davion Mintz had a really good game. Jacob Toppin was really good in this one as well, but severe Wheeler is kind of the guy that makes everything go. And I think Kentucky probably wins this game if they have them. Yeah, I did like what I saw from LSU, their defense. And I know I talked about it last podcast, how it's just been a wild transformation compared to last year. And when I was yelling at them to just get any sort of stop last year, but this defense just gives you fits all game long. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like we talked about how Kentucky has the shooting this year and they go eight for 24 from three. And really Grady, I don't know, have his first half, the second half numbers in front of me, but I can almost promise you that he made all four of those threes in the second half. At least it felt like he was ice cold to start. Yeah. Right. And with LSU, the defense, I mean, you've got athletes out there. You've got length. You're not going to overwhelm people with size. You do have a seven footer on the back line, which I think certainly helps, but Everyone else kind of sits in the 6'2 to 6'5 neighborhood in terms of your height out there that you're given significant minutes. And- Very switchable, though. Like, yes. There was a good video mm-hmm. from, oh gosh, who's the guy? Uh, Jordan Sperber. Jordan is that Sperber, his name? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Oops, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I didn't botch that because I love his videos. And for anyone that's into college basketball, definitely check his out, his YouTube channel and all that. But he did a really good job of breaking down how LSU is just switching everything. And I think he had a Baylor one too, and they're sort of mm-hmm. similar in that regard. They just have bodies that they can throw at a lot of different dudes on the perimeter. They can keep up with you, and it's having those athletes, and that's why we like the SEC so much. They have a lot of those athletes all across the board, and all these teams do, which makes it fun to watch. Yeah, I look at a guy like Moani Wilkinson, right? Scores zero points in this game, but still impacts the game in a number of ways defensively, right? Like you always laugh at when you see the Tony Snell box score or who, who had it the other night. Was it Danny green had like a 24 minute. I think net, so. Yeah. No stat <laughs> night the other day in the NBA. It's like guys who can impact games without scoring a single point. And Wani Wilkinson's one of those guys right now. Yeah. And we'll continue to probably talk about LSU because as we've talked about, they are in the midst of this gauntlet of a stretch where you get Tennessee, Florida, Arkansas, Bama, Tennessee coming up. And Arkansas dropped a really bad game to Bandy. I don't know if yeah. we want to talk about that at any point. Uh, well, but that we can was get that sort of one and done's and and, yeah. and also yeah, when it's, we... it's not looking good for them. Um, but the SEC is really good. It's really fun to watch. And I think this LSU team, you know what you're getting from them. They're the reverse of Purdue, basically. Number one yeah. on defense, and they're hovering around 70, 80 on Ken Palm and uh offense right now. I mean, yeah, they're they're the reverse of last year LSU too, as you've alluded <laughs> yeah, to right. a number of times where they were fifth on offense and 124th on defense. So right now 84th on offense, number one on defense for LSU. Okay, let's get into the NCAA tournament because I think it's 
I know it's early in conference season. Teams are only about two or three games in um, to their conference slates, but I started to look through it, and I think this is going to be a very important year for the Nets. We're basically going to find out if, if the tournament committee cares about the net this year because of the number of mid-major teams that are better than power conference teams this year. I think we're going to be looking at a, a record number of at-large for mid-majors. I'd have to go back and check every single tournament to see how many mid-majors have been getting in, but I would imagine this will set the record for number of at-large mid-majors. I would agree because you look at Joe Lenardi's bracketology right now, ACC four teams in for him, Pac-12 three teams in. So if two of the power mm -hmm. six conferences are contributing seven teams, and if we're being honest, I don't really know if the Pac-12 has a fourth team that's even in the discussion. I, I've got that. I've got that yeah. in my notes here that we'll get to. Right. I mean, it's three teams and then it's everyone else in that league. Mm -hmm. So we can pretty much slot in the Pac-12 for three teams. And the ACC max, I would say, five right now. So no. max, you're looking at eight teams from those two power conferences, which, yeah, the Big 12 is going to send a lot. The SEC is going to send a lot. It sort of levels out, but there's still a lot of room for a conference like WCC. I mean, they've got four yeah. teams in on Lenardi's latest bracketology. That's as they like should too. that way. Yeah, they mm -hmm. should. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let, let's go kind of conference by conference here. Who we're kind of seeing as teams that are in probably have already punched their tickets right now. Who kind of has some work to do and basically get the lay of the land of how many teams each conference is going to have this season. So we can start with the Big Ten here. Um, and I just kind of went through the net rankings, Ken Palm, and just what I've seen so far this season. So here, here are the teams that I have that I think are are firmly in. Okay. Illinois, Purdue, I think you can punch their tickets right now. Michigan State, Ohio State, I think join them in that crop. Wisconsin has done enough for me. I think they've got three quad one wins already. So yeah. they've certainly shown a lot so far. I think Iowa's going to get in. I think Minnesota's going to get in. And which is crazy to say, but I don't see – like what has Michigan done to, to say they're an NCAA tournament team right now? I think Lenardi has them as his first team out right now. But Michigan's not a tournament team to me. And I guess the one sort of other hover, hover team right now is, is Indiana. But I would, I'd take the resumes of Minnesota and Iowa. And again, this is where I think we're going to find out how valuable this net tool is. If Michigan, like if the tournament were to end, to, if the committee were to make that field today and you see a team like Indiana or Michigan getting in over some of these mid-majors, like I think you can kind of kiss away the, the credibility of the net. Yeah, it, it is interesting how they're going to use that because I do think based on the fact that it's literally called the NCAA Tournament Evaluation Tool and it's required resources, money to make it, I'm sure they're going to probably be forced to consider it going forward. Mm -hmm. I, But at the same time... We're going to see who has more power in the realm of college basketball, the NCAA or Ken Pomeroy. Like if <laughs> Michigan is the barometer team this year. If Michigan is in the tournament... Ken Pomeroy has more power than Mark Emmert. Yeah, Michigan's not a tournament team right no, now. There's just not, no way you can put close. them in. Like, They're not even a first four-out team no, to me. not even close, yeah. I think, you know, like even a Northwestern, they haven't done a ton, but they have a road win at Maryland. They're eight and four. Ken Palm's got them at 43 right now. Like, they're a team that's on the fringe. I think Minnesota, it's a little maybe premature to slot them in. but I wouldn't say they're the a lock. Teams. But I like what I've yeah. seen. 
Yeah, but there are still Ben Johnson too for coming in and taking over that program. For sure, he he is certainly like you look at some of the early. I don't want to say like coaches of the year, but like new coaches that have come in and sort of taken things to the next level. It's TJ Otzelberger at Iowa State. It's Ben Johnson at Minnesota. Drew Valentine at Loyola. Maybe I'm missing one or two um, that you could fill me in on here, but those are three of the guys that have come in, sort of taken over and have done a damn good job so far. Yeah. TJ Otzelberger, I would say is coach of the year right now. And he, we didn't mention this, but Iowa State also, beat Texas tech the other night in a mm-hmm. dog fight of a, a low scoring game. True. Texas Prayers tech if you were pressure. on the, the four and a half, by the way, for Iowa state, I don't oh, know if you saw how that game ended. One. Yeah, I saw that. Our guy the Rob Doster tweeted it out. Oh, um, right. Right. Yeah. That's probably, I was I on it, Texas tech plus the four. So that felt like a push win. Wow. Like, okay. There's push losses. There's push wins. That was a push win. You if were celebrating. On, you yes. felt good mm-hmm. after it. Yeah. yeah no doubt. No, this is such a typical Big Ten year looking at it. I haven't looked at it too closely until this point, but it's a lot of teams that are solid to good. And the question is, do they have a great team? I think Purdue is probably your best bet, the highest ceiling mm-hmm. team. But Michigan State's playing some good basketball right now. And their yeah. two losses are legit, really good losses. Baylor at a neutral site in the battle for Atlanta. Since then, they've won eight in a row after losing that. And they lost to Kansas in the first game of the year in a game that it felt like Kansas just had better pieces and more experience coming back and were well-equipped to win that game. They weren't really in it that much, but it's still a neutral site game against the number four team in Ken Palm. So were they right now? 13 and two. Yeah. 13. That's a lot of games too. Like you look at some of these other teams that are like eight and one right now. And they haven't really had a signature win. UConn neutral site, Loyola, Chicago, neutral site, good wins, Mm -hmm. Louisville at home, pretty good win, but Northwestern on the road, solid win. So I would say Michigan State right now might have the best resume, but Purdue has the highest ceiling. But I don't necessarily know if I'd go to the bank and say this is the year the Big Ten breaks through and gets that NCAA tournament victory because it feels pretty Big Ten-ish this year and how they've been. Yeah, it feels like like last year the Big Ten had the facade of dominance, right? But both you and I kind of saw like, hey, don't be surprised if this is the, the fraud of the the dance here yeah and this year the facade's off i think like you've got a couple teams that could maybe push for a one seed or be a strong two seed like illinois and purdue but at the end of the day i i wouldn't say there's more than you gotta put michigan state in that top tier i think yeah okay yeah yeah I'll, i'll i'll i'm cool with that um but i wouldn't say you can't pick more than one team out of this big 10 crop that can make a real strong push for an NCAA title. I think right. one team will emerge out of that pack of, of the three right now. And maybe even Ohio state joins it to make it a pack of four. Um, but right now, yeah, I, I don't, I'm with you. I, I don't know if this is the year the big 10 breaks through. I, I would guess no. Um, okay. Let's move on to the sec here. Here's who I have that I think is firmly in LSU, Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama. And then you've got some work to do teams, Mississippi state, and then kind of the outside looking in Florida, Texas A&M, and then what can Arkansas do? Can yeah. they flip? Can they turn it around? Because, like, they could. They could turn it around. They've got the, the coach. They've got the some of the players to do it. Like, I don't think it's a bad roster per se. It's just one that hasn't been performing. And when you lose to a team like Vanderbilt, it, it sucks. Like, it really pulls <laughs> the wind out of your – like, that's a terrible – that's not a bad loss. That's a terrible – 
terrible loss. I believe that was on their home floor too, if I'm remembering correctly. So yeah, and Vandy was coming off a pause. Don't forget yeah. about that. They were supposed to play on Christmas Day in that Diamond Head Classic final game. Went into a little bit of a COVID interruption. Hadn't played since December 23rd. That was a terrible loss, just as Hofstra was. 89-81 loss to Hofstra. They've lost four or five here. They're not playing good. And yeah. they didn't really pick up any quad one opportunities or pick up any sort of quality tournament challenge type wins that we like to joke about in the mm -hmm. non-conference. They played no one. And they looked fine doing it. They won all their non-conference games until you got to the Oklahoma Hofstra stretch where they started to actually play teams. So I'm not that high on Arkansas. You need to see more from them, but you're right. They do have the coach and they have sort of the pedigree there. And I was pretty decently high on them at the start of the year, but just seeing their resume to this point, the sec Florida is an interesting one. If Florida gets in, then you're looking at maybe they match the big 10 or some of these top teams or top conferences mm -hmm. in terms of bids. But Florida has probably the worst loss of any major conference bubble fringe team in America right now with that Texas Southern loss. Yeah, that was, that was a rough one early on here. Here's the wild card that I'll throw at you. And it's Texas A&M 12 and two right now. Their losses are to Wisconsin and TCU one. zero in the SEC, but it's Georgia. So it doesn't really count. Um, but you've got a victory <laughs> over Notre Dame, got a victory over Butler and a victory over Oregon State. So you haven't necessarily challenged yourself, but you've got some Power 5 wins under your belt right now. If you can pick off a couple of the... And there's going to be a lot of chances for Texas A&M to do this. But if you can get an LSU win here, a Bama win there, if you can get like three quality wins in the SEC and then just take care of business against the Ole Misses, the Missouris, the South Carolinas, and you've got another game against Georgia... If you can pick off like three critical victories, you probably get yourself in. Yeah. I think Mississippi State, shout out to Garrison Brooks, the former Tar Heel there. I think they're in sort of a similar spot as well, 10 and 3, but they're just sort of motoring along, nothing too noteworthy one way or the other. The SEC, at least at the top for me, it feels like Auburn is becoming that team. And we've sort of yeah. been on that for a while. I think Alabama has looked fine, but I don't know. Alabama, they still are chucking threes like Nate Oates likes to do, but they're just not making them like they were last year. And right. it's tough to predict them. Like, I don't like betting on them because I feel like you could get one of two teams every night. You could get the team that against yeah. Gonzaga just made a lot of shots and looked or even last night like Florida, like just went out and was the better team. Yeah. Yeah, and that was mostly in the second half. I think Florida mm -hmm. led by three at the half in that game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even the Tennessee win, I, I, I'll give them some credit, but also Tennessee was down Kennedy Chandler and John Fulkerson in that game. So that's their two best players. So I, Alabama's hit or miss for me. I could see them losing to a 14 seed or going to the Elite Eight just because of the way they play feels pretty volatile. Auburn and LSU – and even Kentucky, I'm not totally out of Kentucky yet. Those yeah. feel like kind of the teams that I'm pretty firmly saying are, are the top tier, or at least they're more consistent than the Alabama group. Alabama yeah. still has a feeling, too. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on, on all that. Um, yeah, but I'm wondering, too, like, can the SEC squeeze in an extra team or two, kind of like what we would see the ACC used to do or the Big East used to do, just based off of strength of schedule? Mm-hmm. 
or, yeah, or, or just like basically this, you're going to have opportunities to get wins against good teams and a lot of them. And just naturally you're going to get one or two at home. I, can you squeeze in an extra team or two? And that kind of leads me into the next conference that we can talk about here, the big 12. Cause I think they're a conference that can do that too. Now they're a little bit more limited just because there's 10 teams um, and they'll probably have the highest percentage of teams getting yeah. in their conference. But right now, if you if the season were to end today, Baylor, Kansas, Texas, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and then can you squeeze in a TCU? Now, TCU's got a good record right now, but they mm-hmm. haven't played a single quad one game yet so far this season. So they haven't challenged themselves. But like we mentioned, what did I list off there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's seven teams. Can you get that eighth in? And can TCU pick off wins against those seven teams? Yeah, so we have to remember Oklahoma State out of you didn't mention them, but they're right. out of so consideration. I guess, yeah, it's, a, it's a nine, it's a nineteen yeah. conference, effectively. But You're gosh, right. yep. this is such a good conference. Looking at it from top to bottom, every team right now is thinking they can make the NCAA tournament. You can't say that about any other league where there is no bottom. I know Oklahoma State literally can't make it, but take them out of the equation. Even Kansas State and TCU are on the incline this year to the point that they're sitting here thinking, what's my path to the NCAA tournament? They're at least considering it right now. I don't know if it's going to stay that way. I think TCU has a better shot of that than Kansas State, but every team in the league is better than 70 on Ken Palm. That's absurd. That's as good of a conference as I think we've seen in college basketball in a while. And I know it's easier to do when you only have 10 teams, but they also have but two. Usually you have get... one terrible team. Yes. Like, like the Georgia. You, yeah, the, like the, the Georgia. SEC's loaded. The Big Ten's loaded, but they have a Nebraska. The SEC has Georgia. There's usually one or two but that he, just get he, beat he, up. He was good. They still had a BC. Right. Exactly. So I think it's. It's impressive, and it helps that there are 10 teams, but, man, this is a really good conference right now because you also have Baylor, Kansas, Texas at the top. There's just no easy wins, and Iowa State, they should be better than 37 on Ken Palm, so if you want to group them higher, I would say there's four top 20 teams When if you include Texas, which Texas has also mm-hmm. picked off some shorthanded teams recently. They beat West Virginia without Taz Sherman, but – They're looking better, and Marcus Carr's coming together, so I'll give them some credit. And then the rest of the league is just really solid still. I mean, it's teams that are considering the NCAA tournament deep into the season. Yeah. Um, Just so sort of to recap, I think we feel strongly about seven teams getting in, and then I bet one will emerge out of the Big Ten. So that would probably give the Big Ten about eight. Then you go to the SEC. I think we really like the prospects of five teams, and then it's going to be, can two of these four get in? Mississippi State, right. Florida, AM, Arkansas. Can two of those four find their way in? And I would guess at least two do. Maybe even you get a third based yeah, on I would the, agree with the that. strength of schedule. Um, and then the Big 12, I mean, there, there's seven teams that we like. And then can TCU get in and maybe can Kansas State? Now, Kansas State probably hasn't done themselves any favors because they've already gotten out to an 0 2 start in the conference and they probably would have needed to get off to a fast start if they were going to get into the NCAA tournament. So, all right, let's move on to the Big East here. Right now, I like Nova, UConn, Xavier, Seton Hall, Providence. I'll even throw Creighton in there, too. Okay. Creighton has played 14 games so far. Six of them have been quad one, and they're three and three in those games. That's solid. That's When you talk about resume building, 
that's resume building right there. So I think you can't take Creighton lightly in this in this scenario either. Yeah, I think they make the tournament. If I had to pick right now, they did lose to Arizona State at home, but then they bounced back and beat Villanova. Got crushed the other night by Villanova, but it wasn't at home, and it's a different challenge. And Villanova is probably a better team, even though it was only like a week or so ago when they played them the first time. But yeah, this is another good conference. I think Nova at the top. I Providence had a weird game against Marquette, but I like the way they're playing. There's a lot of just quality teams in yeah, this league. But there's you don't see a champion in here. Even in the nature of the the one and done format of the NCAA tournament. I I, I just don't see a, a champion in here. Even a Villanova. Yeah, the, that's the only one that I could maybe see, but you're right. It's it's sort of hard to visualize this Villanova team cutting down the nets. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, Xavier UConn is kind of your next tier of teams that is just really solid. You don't want to play them in the tournament, but if they made the Final Four, that would be way exceeding expectations, I would say. Yeah. And I I think they're good teams, but still, you got to yeah. get a lot they of They feel like Sweet 16s. They, like, yeah. this this could be a conference with a lot of sweet 16 teams, uh, but they also could be a conference with a lot of first round exits to double digit seeds too, I think. And that that's including Villanova that could happen to them. Yeah. Um, so I, I have it right now is there's six teams that I like to get into the tournament here. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in Butler turning it around Marquette. I know they, they got out to a nice little start to begin the season, but I don't like them. And then Georgetown, I mean, is Georgetown going to play games? I don't know. Um, and then De- DePaul is back to being DePaul. So, yeah, pretty much. I mean, a little bit better than normal, sure, but they're zero and three in league play, which yeah. is just DePaul things. I think Marquette is better than their record, but you still probably missed your window. They're probably not a tournament team at the end of the day. Out of the four you just mentioned, though, Marquette's the only one that I could maybe see making the tournament Butler is probably second in that category, but I still would say Marquette's above them because I mean, maybe Marquette found something against Providence. I don't know how they just went out and yeah. just totally dominated them. I mean, that was a weird game from the start, but they have had some decent performances and some good wins and they played a tough schedule. Yeah. They, they have played a tough schedule. I don't know. Some of those early wins, it felt like it was more punching above your weight. And now they're starting to level themselves off. Cause like, Looking through it, if you're taking Kofi Coburn off of Illinois, you haven't really beat a great team. You've beat one good-ish team, um, and then you beat Providence last night, which I guess you'll count that because I think Providence is a pretty yeah. talented team. But like, the resume doesn't impress me a whole heck of a lot when you take a Kofi Coburn off of an Illinois. Yeah, I would say nine and six doesn't tell the whole story, but still they're not a tournament team because you have some bad performances mixed in there. They shouldn't have lost that game to Creighton. Alex O'Connell had a big shot to force overtime, which was cool, but I don't think it's, you got to win that type of game if you're going to make the tournament. Yeah. Um, Let's go to the ACC. I've got Duke and then I've got a lot of question marks. And (laughs) honestly, the list of question marks isn't even that long. I've got Virginia tech, North Carolina, wake, and Clemson. Some will argue to throw Florida State into that mix as well, but th- that's what I've got right now. Am I missing anyone? Even Virginia Tech is 0-3 in the league. Like, no. What are you doing, Virginia I Tech? I guess you could throw Louisville in because I think they're out yeah, to a Louisville. start. Yeah, Louisville. I would agree. 
I, um, I would buy stock in Louisville right now because the Furman loss was without Chris Mack. DePaul was not a good loss. Western Kentucky, not a good loss. But they have some of these wins like Wake Forest could be a quad two, quad one win at the end of the day. Even NC State on the road, that's going to get you some quadrant points because it's a road game. Maryland, neutral site. Mississippi State, neutral site. They have more of those type of wins than kind of the other teams in the ACC. That's the big catch up with these other teams is like they didn't get you anything in the non-conference and now they're just going against crappy teams the rest of the way because the league isn't good. Like Virginia, I just don't know how they climb out of the hole that they're in. They're playing a lot better and they just beat Syracuse and Clemson two road games, but you get done with the end of the year and like how many quad one wins can they pick up that could sort of counteract the losses they've had, which is yeah, like right now a road win against Syracuse is not a quad one win. And that's a problem for the conference right now. Like I'm looking right now at this Louisville schedule. You want, you want to hear their first 10 conference games. All right. You will not find a softer landing into the conference (laughs) than this. You ready? Yeah. NC State on the road. Wake Forest at home. Georgia Tech on the road. Pitt at home. Florida State on the road. NC State at home. Pitt on the road. BC home. Notre Dame home. Virginia on the road. It doesn't get easier than that to land into conference play for 10 games. Your first half of conference. And it's not like the back end is super difficult either just because of the nature of the conference. But I will say this. The one thing about Louisville is they may be 4-0 in the conference right now, but they have not won a game by more than five points. Yeah. Some of that luck (laughs) is going to start to counteract the other way at a certain point. Yeah, they barely beat Pitt, so I don't want to give them too much credit here. I think Duke definitely makes it. We know that. Yeah. If I had to say right now, UNC is a tournament team because the brand name, there's some talent on that UNC team. Yeah, there's talent. They're just so up Mm -hmm. and down. I did see there uh, Haslametrics does the consistency ratings. And right now UNC is outside the top 300. Yeah, so you're going to see UNC when like UNC will probably beat Duke once this year. Right. right. They'll <laughs> probably beat Duke once. Yeah. And even Notre Dame, I'd like to see their consistency ranking because I mean, they had a two game stretch where they lost to BC by 16 and then they went and beat Kentucky. So that mm-hmm. tells you a lot about the way they're playing. They are not in the tournament conversation right now, but just using them as an example. So I'll say Duke, UNC. I would have said Virginia Tech, but like you got to start winning some of these conference games. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing, VT? Home yeah. loss to NC State? I mean, and then Louisville, I, I think I feel decently good Louisville makes it. What about Miami? I mean, Miami's also won eight in a row. They're 4-0 in the league. I don't think they're there yet, but could they get there? I, I'm just not this sold on Miami. so like, bad, the, It's when you look at who's carrying the mantle right now after Duke, it, it like here here's the top six teams in the ACC, and it doesn't sound bad, but it's Louisville, Miami, Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, Notre Dame. But when you look at the seasons that Virginia, North Carolina, and, and even like look at some of the losses that some of these teams at the top have had, like we were just poo-pooing DePaul moments ago. Louisville lost to them. And they are right now number one in your conference in the standings. So it's like yeah. some of these losses, like 
you're going to have to digging through the, the, the strength of schedule non-con with some of these teams. It'd be an interesting little exercise, or I guess more of the, the strength of record non-conference because it, it's yeah. not going to be very good. I think four teams will make it because even Wake and Clemson are there. Miami's not going to make it. I just looked at their schedule. They're projected to lose their next six games on Ken Palm and seven of the next eight if you want to go even deeper. So they've kind of taken advantage of a soft stretch. They are 4-0 in the league. But, I mean, is even if you're a Miami fan right now, it's still a long ways to go before you get into the thick of it in terms of the NCAA tournament conversation. This league's not good, and – I would say four teams, and if I had to pick, it's UNC, Duke, well, Duke, then UNC. Then I'll, I'll put Louisville in there because I'm pretty bullish on them. And Wake Forest, I think. I think maybe Virginia Tech gets there. What is that, but four? Yeah. Jeez. And even Wake, I, I don't feel great. They're a, they're a like, play-in type of team. Right? Yeah, they, yeah they they're it. first four. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like the I one mean, year they made it with Danny Manning. That's what right. they'll do. Yeah. And then if you thought the ACC was bad, we show you the Pac-12. <laughs> <laughs> because at least there's five, six teams that are in the conversation for, for the ACC. There are three teams that are, I think are firmly in the tournament out of the Pac-12, but there's no one else even in the conversation. Right. Like right now, the fourth team that you'd be looking at on Ken Palm is Washington State. And they just can't get there. Washington no. State is not sniffing the tournament. Whether they use the net or not, all right? They're not sniffing the tournament this year. Yeah, the only team that I think has a case, and, and they don't have a case right now, but Oregon, Oregon is the team that maybe gets there if they go on a run because we just know that they have talent, right? We know that they were yeah. supposed to be better than this, and then they could maybe do some stuff in the Pac-12 tournament. But, yeah, it's three teams right now, if I had to guess. And the good news is with that league, Arizona, UCLA, USC. I like all three of those teams. UCLA might actually never play a basketball game again. They haven't played <laughs> since December 11th. But when they do play basketball again, I think they're a legit team. And they've sort of just not become a talking point on this podcast based on not playing. But let's not forget that we were considering them a top five, top 10 team for a good chunk of the early season yep. here. So they have three good teams. And I love Arizona. I love the way they play. But it is really bleak after that. So... Oregon, you talk about a chance to kind of get yourself back into the, the thick of things here. Yep. You get UCLA off the pause tonight. I know uh, we'll, we'll see how much COVID plays a factor, but I think the way that, that COVID is going to be looked at this year when it comes to NCAA evaluation, it's not a bad loss, but can still be a good win. I right. think that's the way that the tournament committee is going to look at it. And I think that's the way it should be looked at too. Yeah. And that's an added game for Oregon, I believe, because they've been messing around with their schedule. I think they lost Colorado. I thought they were going into a pause, but it looks like they've added that game. So, yeah, that's I will say this does look like game. the the natural um, like because you know how the, the Pac-12, you get the groupings. So they have UCLA on Thursday and then they have USC on Saturday. So that's like the okay, so maybe it's not. There. I just they were going to play Colorado earlier in the week. Yeah, and, and that looks like that play. was wiped off. Yeah, because that is yeah. in Colorado, Utah. That's the the pairing, and they right, just played yes. Utah. Yep. So yeah, yeah, and so they were going to play Colorado before Utah, and Colorado had COVID. Then they played Utah, and then they rescheduled Colorado, and Oregon had to pause because of COVID protocol. So I don't know if mm -hmm. Oregon's maybe down a couple of players in this game. That'd be interesting to and see. But actually, I, I've got my days wrong here. They play UCLA a week from today. 
Uh, oh, that's that makes way more sense. So, okay. Yeah, because I could have sworn they were in a COVID pause, and I was just like, yeah. "Huh, UCLA? Like, how did they, how did they work that game in?" All right, that makes more sense. But still, anyway, yeah, could be UCLA off a of pause, nonetheless. We'll see. Yeah. So again, yeah, can Oregon? Because your your first two out of the pause are UCLA, USC, both of those games on the road, and right now, like, I think USC. <laughs> this is going to be crazy to say, but it's true. USC is the least talked about of the three remaining undefeateds. Like Colorado State's getting more pub than right. USC. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. That West Coast, yeah. I don't know. I haven't even really sought out USC much. I mean, I've watched them play once this year, and I, they didn't look all that great. But that's just me being on the East Coast, I guess. I do think they've done a good job going on the road and winning some decent games. So based on mm-hmm. resume, they look pretty good. Yeah, I, listen, I, I kind of like Boogie Ellis, too, and what he's brought to oh, the yeah. table for, for USC. Uh, listen, th- this was a, a prime team to drop off from last year. Prime team. You know, I mean, you lose Isaiah Mobley, like, makes sense, right? But the the way that they've played so far um, and just kind of elevated themselves, they're 2-0 and in the, the Pac-12. You got a non-con victory against San Diego State, neutral floor. Um, so, yeah, I... I, I like USC, but again, are they going to be a team that can get to the final four? Probably not. I, right. I, I'm not going to go that far with, with USC, but yeah, this is a, a three bid league. And I think we can firmly say that now with a, a high degree of confidence. I agree. Yeah. And the ACC is not getting more than five. I would say just based yeah. on how can they get to six? I mean, it, it doesn't seem possible with all the question marks there. There have to be too many answers to some of those question mark teams. Yeah. All right. Real quickly, let's go through some one and dones here. One and done, my guys. Obviously, we have one in our conference. It has a doctorate degree in one and dones, right? <laughs> I'll start with this one. Did you see the Duke cult video that got put out on the internet? It was, I didn't. It was how to worship, how how to like honor Coach K in his final season. It was like a tutorial video made for grad students and like new students. And it was like showing the bows at the altar. And uh, how, how can you not say this is a cult? Like, <laughs> I don't want to ever see that video. I, like, I, I nearly, that's I nearly like the worst video ever. <laughs> I literally tweeted it out. Like I'm going to puke. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. And, and like, it's funny. Cause they, they show the demonstration. I think it's like a 10 minute long video, but I saw like a 30 second clip on, on Twitter of it. And it's like this one lady is is like the the leader of it all um, is showing like is basically giving the tutorial. And then there's like five, seven fans sitting in the stands there as the demonstrators. And she's like, all right, when Coach K walks by, you bow down. And then she gets like a Coach K bobblehead, puts it on her head and starts walking across the like it's like she's a train. And then everyone's like, like. That's cult. I, I I've never been in a cult. I don't know what cult behavior looks like, but that's cult behavior. Yeah, it's a cult. I don't even have to watch the video. That with sounds even worse than my wildest nightmares. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, that's awful. Only uh, other one and done I had that we haven't touched on. Did you see the Travion Williams pass at the end of the game? Uh, Purdue Wisconsin game. The full court it. pass. No. Oh, the, oh. To, to Zach Eady. Yes. That yes, yes, yes. I did see that because. So I was at the I was at the Chicago Bulls game that night. By the way, I, I was at that Bulls game, and the Magic were rolling out lineups of guys who weren't even the best players on their own college teams. Like it was it, on their team. Bad. It was like 
Oh, who, I'm trying to remember now. Um, see, like that—that's how bad they were. Like, right. I, I can't even remember who was on the Cole team. Cole Anthony, right? He's on Cole the Anthony didn't play though. Cole, oh, like they're—they're they're all injured right now. Like I, I wanted to see Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, but they're injured, so I couldn't see them. Yeah. Um, huh. but like I guess like this is a bad example because he's actually playing well now. But like Wendell Carter Jr. wasn't the best player yeah. on his college team. He was still like Duke, but like still right. wasn't the best player on his college team. Um, so. I did see that. I was with a Wisconsin fan and he, he's game tracking and it's getting close at the end. And he's like, they literally scored in one second. <laughs> and, and it must, it must've been that pass that he was talking yes. about. I was like, Edie just dunked in one second. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> so for, yeah. But yeah. The full for anyone that bounce, hasn't yeah. seen it, uh, maybe the most impressive, I mean, he's gotta be the best passer passing big for sure, but yeah. maybe just best pure passer in, tr- in terms of, arsenal of passes Field. that he has in yeah. college basketball and Travion Williams are talking about. He's so much fun to watch, but look up this video of this full court pass because you always see this play and it's like desperation. How do you do it? Do you throw it three quarter court? Do you just throw it all the way down? What's the best way to do it? And it never works. I mean, Christian Leitner, yeah. I guess it worked, but that one, the clock definitely malfunctioned. I think uh, <laughs> again, my UNC fandom out there, but yeah, it's, it never works, and then Travion Williams just throws a seed that is like a pocket pass right to Zach Eady, and he catches it. It's there's no more perfect combo, too. I know. Like you've right. got a guy who can make every pass you could ask for in Travion Williams, and you got a seven four guy to catch it with, with right. good hands too. Like yes. Usually when <laughs> you get seven four guys, it's, right. it's boom fumbles off off a hand or something. But this is a seven four guy that can catch. So exactly. I, I think, I mean, it was one of the more impressive passes. It's up there with the Jalen Suggs uh, bounce pass in the final four game against yeah. UCLA. Mm-hmm. And he had a couple of those last year. It's one of the more just pure, most impressive pure passes I've seen in college basketball in a while. And there were a lot of jokes on Twitter, like Dravion Williams now starting for the New York Jets at quarterback <laughs> or yeah. Chicago Bears for you. Yeah. I, I, it's just funny that he was. I mean, that was an unbelievable pass. They lost the game, but still a really cool play at the end. Yeah, last one I got here, and then we can take off. Uh, Loyola and San Francisco. I think they just tipped off, actually. But the fact that they're playing oh, this that game, was cool. get, yeah. getting the top two. They're playing at 2 o'clock at like some junior college gym. Uh, they couldn't find a broadcast partner for the longest time, but I think the WCC network is going to be airing this one. Thank God, um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, I'm glad they're playing. I, I, we don't know the result as of us recording. It, it'll probably be out by the, the time huge this game, though. I mean, yeah, it's a, a big game. Large so, yeah. so, yeah, it's at large mid major teams. So, all right, that's going to do it for us here on this week's Made for March. We will be back next week breaking down the week of college hoops, and maybe we'll have some shakeup. Maybe we'll see some upsets this weekend. There's a lot of good games on this weekend, so everyone will be peeled to their televisions. No, no real football, at least from a college standpoint. To, kind of get in the way except for the national championship game on Monday. So we'll be back to break everything down with you guys next week. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you guys next week. The game was over.